The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol held a meeting on March 28th to discuss a report recommending that the House of Representatives hold former Trump aides Peter Navarro and Daniel Scavino Jr. in contempt of Congress for their roles in the insurrection and their refusal to comply with the investigation. This evening, the Select Committee is required to consider two more citations for criminal contempt of Congress for Daniel Scavino Jr. and Peter Navarro. Before I get started, I do want to comment quickly on the ruling today in John Eastman's lawsuit to stop the select committee from obtaining certain records. As the vice chair and I said in our statement earlier today, this ruling is a clear victory for the rule of law. I encourage people at home to read what Judge Carter wrote and consider his words very carefully. His warnings about the ongoing threat to American democracy should alarm every person in this country. I want to read a short excerpt from George Carter's ruling. Dr. Eastman and President Trump launched a campaign to overturn a democratic election, an action unprecedented in American history. Their campaign was not confined to the ivory tower. It was a coup in search of a legal theory. The plan spurred violent attack on the seat of our nation's government, led to the death of several law enforcement officers, and deepened public distrust in our political process. More than a year after the attack on our capital, the public is still searching for accountability. I'm proud to say that this committee is helping to lead that search for accountability. It is why we are here tonight. So let's turn to Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro. There aren't, these aren't household names and my colleagues will share some details about who they are and why they are so important to our investigation. In short, these two men played a key role in the ex-president's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The select committee subpoenaed them for records and testimony to learn more about their roles and what they knew. In Mr. Scavino's case, he strung us along for months before making it clear that he believes he's above the law. Mr. Navarro, despite sharing relevant details on TV and podcast and in his own book, he also stonewalled us. The contempt report published last night gets into the weeds on this, but broadly, Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro are making similar excuses. They're claiming that the information we want from them is shielded by executive privilege. To remind everyone, executive privilege is a power of the president to make sure official sensitive information and conversations stay private. It's a privilege used to protect the presidency and our national security. It usually involves a president and that president's closest advisors, cabinet secretaries, top aides. In the lead up to January 6th, Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro were both government employees. They worked in the White House. They drew salaries paid by the taxpayers. They had conversations with the ex-president 
So now they are saying they won't answer any of our questions because of executive privilege. There are a couple of big problems with their argument. First, generally speaking, executive privilege doesn't belong to just any White House official. It belongs to the president. Here, President Biden has been clear that executive privilege does not prevent cooperation with the select committee by either Mr. Scavino or Mr. Navarro. And while the ex-president reportedly has raised privilege concerns when it comes to Mr. Scavino, in Mr. Navarro's case, nobody has even tried to invoke privilege except Mr. Navarro himself. That's just not the way it works. Peter Navarro isn't president. It's important to note that even if a president has formally invoked executive privilege regarding testimony of a witness, which is not the case here, that witness has the obligation to sit down under oath and assert the privilege question by question. But these witnesses didn't even bother to show up. Second, if the ex-president had a legitimate claim to executive privilege, this is a privilege that applies to things that happen in an official capacity. So if Mr. Scavino or Mr. Navarro are claiming that they all that they that all the information they have is protected by executive privilege, they are basically saying that everything they did, they did in their official roles, paid by taxpayers. As I said before, we want to talk to Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro about their roles in the attempt to overturn an election. The American people didn't pay their salaries to do that. Now there are a lot of laws that set out what government officials aren't allowed to do when they are on the clock or using government resources. It's important that taxpayer dollars don't support political activity. And there are a few bright lines about every specific situation. I can't sit in my office on Capitol Hill and make fundraising calls. Every staff member has to take an ethics training every year to remind them that what's in and out of bounds. I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just for the record and for those watching at home, trying to overturn an election is out of bounds way out of bounds. Yet, Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro say they won't talk about the causes of January 6th because they were White House officials at the time, engaged in official business, and so executive privilege stands in the way. They potentially played a part in an attack on American democracy, but they can ignore our, they, but they can ignore our investigation because they worked for the government at the time. That's their argument. They're not fooling anybody. They are obligated to comply with our investigation. They have refused to do so, and that's a crime. Our investigation aims to give the American people a lot of answers about a great many matters, but I think we'll also leave you with some unanswered questions to consider for yourselves. Questions about the sort of people who deserve the power and responsibility of positions of public trust. For a great many of us, it means something profound when we raise our hands and swear an oath. We haven't finished the work of our investigation, but I can say confidently 
that the many involved in the run-up to January 6th, an oath, a statement of fidelity to our democracy, was nothing more to them than meaningless words. I fear what happens if those people are again given the rings of power. These men, Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro, are in contempt of Congress. I encourage my colleagues to support adoption of this report. I'm confident the House will adopt a resolution citing them for this crime. And I hope the Justice Department will move swiftly to hold them accountable. We are entering a critical stage of our investigation. We've now taken the testimony of hundreds of witnesses with knowledge of the events of January 6th, including more than a dozen former Trump White House staff members. We have learned that President Trump and his team were warned in advance and repeatedly that the efforts they undertook to overturn the 2020 election would violate the law and our Constitution. They were warned that January 6th could and likely would turn violent. And they were told repeatedly by our state and federal courts, by our Justice Department, and by agencies of our intelligence community that the allegations of widespread fraud sufficient to overturn the election were false and were unsupported by the evidence. And yet, despite all these specific warnings, President Trump and his team moved willfully through multiple means to attempt to halt the peaceful transfer of power, to halt our constitutional process for counting votes, and to shatter the constitutional bedrock of our great nation. As a federal judge concluded today, the illegality of President Trump's plan for January 6th was, quote, obvious. Today, as the chairman noted, we address two specific witnesses who have refused to appear for testimony. Mr. Scavino worked directly with President Trump to spread President Trump's false message that the election was stolen and to recruit Americans to come to Washington with the false promise that January 6th would be an opportunity to, quote, take back their country. This effort to deceive was widely effective and widely destructive. The committee has many questions from Mr. Scavino about his political social media work for President Trump, including his interactions with an online forum called The Donald and with QAnon, a bizarre and dangerous cult. President Trump, working with Mr. Scavino, successfully spread distrust for our courts, which had repeatedly found no basis to overturn the election. And Trump's stolen election campaign succeeded in provoking the violence on January 6th. On this point, there is no doubt. The committee has videos, interviews, and sworn statements from violent rioters demonstrating these facts. Mr. Navarro is also a key witness. He's written a book boasting about his role in planning and coordinating the activity of January 6th, and yet he does not have the courage to testify here. We have many questions for Mr. Navarro, including about his communications with Roger Stone and Steve Bannon regarding the planning for January 6th. As Judge Carter concluded today, quote, based on the evidence, the court finds it more likely than not that President Trump corruptly attempted 
to obstruct the joint session of Congress on January 6, 2021. Our committee will continue to litigate to obtain the testimony we need. We have already defeated President Trump's effort to hide certain White House records behind a shield of executive privilege. As the court said today, or not today, but as the court said in that case, under any of the tests advocated by former President Trump, the profound interests in disclosure advanced by President Biden and the January 6th committee far exceed his generalized concerns for executive branch confidentiality. That same conclusion should apply to Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro. Let me pause for a moment on one specific legal point. Like Mr. Meadows, Mr. Navarro insists that he is above the law and is categorically and absolutely immune from any congressional subpoena regarding January 6th. We are aware of no court anywhere in America that has ever agreed with this proposition. To the extent that Mr. Navarro and Mr. Meadows are attempting to rely upon memoranda from the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel, those memoranda explicitly do not apply here. In this context, Mr. Navarro was not acting as a White House aide advising the President on official matters of policy. He was acting as a Trump campaign operative planning a political effort to obstruct or impede Congress's constitutional proceeding to count electoral votes. The Department of Justice is entrusted with the defense of our Constitution. Department leadership should not apply any doctrine of immunity that might block Congress from fully uncovering and addressing the causes of the January 6th attack. Congress is a separate and co-equal branch of government. It must have the authority and the ability to protect its independence and safeguard the constitutional separation of powers. In the coming months, our committee will convene a series of hearings. The American people will hear from our fellow citizens who demonstrated fidelity to our Constitution and the rule of law, and who refused to bow to President Trump's pressure. The committee has heard from many of these individuals, including Republicans appointed by President Trump to posts in the Department of Justice, Republicans who stood firm, who threatened to resign and refused to participate in efforts to corrupt the department with the stolen election lies that led to January 6th. We have heard from leading Republicans serving in state legislatures and in state and local government who also stood firm, who resisted pressure from the former president and did their constitutional duty. And we have heard from Republicans who were serving in the Trump White House, including those who warned in advance that the president's plans were unlawful and those who tried to intervene with the president to get him to halt the violence when it erupted on January 6th. In a time when many Republican members of Congress have abandoned their obligation to our Constitution and are putting politics above duty, each of the individuals I just mentioned has, by contrast, demonstrated a firm and unwavering commitment to this nation 
and to our constitutional republic. Each has done what is right, despite tremendous personal, political, and professional cost. Each is a model for the American people of the kind of public servants this nation needs. Men and women who know our institutions don't defend themselves and who recognize the obligation that comes from holding positions of public trust. Democracy only survives if citizens are willing to defend it. We live in the greatest constitutional republic in history. No citizen in our republic can be a bystander. If we don't stand for our freedom and our republic, we will lose them. In his ruling today, Judge Carter put it this way. If President Trump's plan had worked, it would have permanently ended the peaceful transition of power, undermining American democracy and the Constitution. If the country does not commit to investigating and pursuing accountability for those responsible, the court fears January 6th will repeat itself. You know, it's a phrase we use all the time, <clears throat> no one is above the law. But it seems as if a few of the former president's closest aides and allies seem to think they are, including Daniel Scavino, Jr. Now, who is he? Mr. Scavino Mr. Tr uh, met Mr. Trump around 1992 and worked for him for many years, first at the Trump National Golf Club and then as director of social media for his 2016 presidential campaign then as White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications, and on his 2020 campaign, and later on efforts to reverse the election results, which former Vice President Mike Pence has denounced as un-American. According to many published reports, Mr. Scavino worked closely with Mr. Trump to use social media to spread lies regarding non-existent election fraud, and to inflame a violent, angry mob. For example, Mr. Trump's Twitter account praised a false report alleging election fraud, tweeting, and here's a quote, a great report, statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election. Big protest in DC on January 6th, be there will be wild. Mr. Scavino also followed domestic violence, violent extremist social media, and he did that on behalf of Mr. Trump. This committee has reason to believe that doing so provided Mr. Scavino with explicit advance warnings of the violence that was to occur on January 6th. Now, Mr. Scavino may have shared these warnings of violence with Mr. Trump before January 6th. He reportedly attended several meetings with Mr. Trump and others regarding reversing President Biden's legitimate victory. Mr. Scavino was also with Mr. Trump during the Capitol attack, while Mr. Trump failed to immediately try to stop it, despite urgent bipartisan calls for him to do so. Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell rightly said that the public needs to know everything about what caused and occurred on January 6th. Now, to inform both the American people and legislative reform proposals, 
this committee needs to speak with Mr. Scabino. He has to fulfill his legal and his moral obligation to provide testimony and documents, or he should face the consequences. That's why we're taking this action today. In the United States of America, no one is above the law. This committee is doing its job. The Department of Justice needs to do theirs. Democracies aren't defined by bad days or bad things that happen, but how they defend it and how they come back from that. And that's the importance of this committee. So Dan Scavino met Donald Trump when he was 16 years old. He became a longtime Trump employee and remains a true Trump loyalist. In the Trump administration, Dan Scavino served as director of social media and for its final two years as deputy chief of staff for communications. And as the select committee report notes, Dan Scavino was with then President Trump on January 5th and 6th. He spoke with President Trump by phone several times on January 6th and was with the president when many urged him to help stop the violence at the Capitol. He was always, at all relevant times, a Trump and White House insider. Social media as a means of monitoring and shaping, friend, shaping trends was Dan Scavino's core business. Reports tell us that Dan Scavino and his team monitored extremist social media sites, monitored trends on social media, and used extremist social media sites to shape public perceptions. There is, in short, a great deal of highly important information that Dan Scavino has that the select committee needs to know. I want to focus on one aspect of that, what Dan Scavino could tell us about what then-President Trump thought was likely to happen on January 6th. Did the president know that the rally could turn violent? That his rhetoric on the ellipse could send an angry mob to storm the Capitol. When Trump noted on the evening of January 5th that he had a fired up crowd, did he know that they might take it literally when the next morning he told them to quote, fight hard? Dan Scavino was there and could tell us a lot about that. We need to hear from him. And refusing to talk to us, he's stiff arming the American people and he's hiding the truth. It's unlawful and there is no excuse. Then President Trump asserted that he generally did his own tweets, but he acknowledged that on occasion, Scavino helped to shape them. We know that he often composed social media posts and discussed their language with Trump. With that in mind, let's take a closer look. On December 19th, 2020, Trump retweeted a video that ended by urging viewers to quote, fight for Trump, and here it is. January 6th was then just two and a half weeks off. Dan Scavino could tell us something useful about why Donald Trump retweeted that particular message. President Trump also retweeted a video titled, quote, how to steal an election. Among other things, it argued that COVID-19 was created to ensure that Trump would lose the election. And here's that one. QAnon had already retweeted that one by the time Trump did. We'd like to hear what President Trump's director of social media has to say about that. And what did Trump's extremist followers on The Donald and other hard right social media sites make of all that, of President Trump urging them to join in a wild protest on January 6th? Some of his followers on The Donald French site took it as marching orders. Dan Scavino had every reason to know that they would be violent. Dan Scavino was well aware of what his boss wanted and to the extremist violent users that use the site like Donald Trump or like the Donald. 
Dan Scavino himself sent out a video that a user on the same site understood to be, quote, literal war drums. President Trump had by then been president for a full four years with Dan Scavino at his side. He, they knew that January 6th, that the January 6th crowd could turn violent. They knew exactly what they were doing. And the select committee needs to hear directly from Dan Scavino about his and President Trump's role in inciting violence that day. Our committee has a singular purpose, to ensure that our nation never again experiences the violence of January 6th, that there is never again an effort to overturn a presidential election or to interfere with a peaceful transfer of power. That is our object, and every single witness called before this panel should cooperate. It is a patriotic duty to help Congress and the American people understand how the tragedy of January 6th came about. And more than a duty, it is a necessity when served with a lawful subpoena to appear, which is why we are here today. Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino have refused to comply with a duly authorized subpoena, offering up again and again spurious and unjustifiable excuses. In Mr. Scavino's case, he, was, he has clearly relevant testimony for our committee. Scavino was intimately involved in former President Trump's social media content and strategy uh, and served as Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications while also actively promoting Trump's campaign. The Select Committee believes that Scavino was with Trump on January 5th and 6th, including during a period when the Capitol was under attack, that he was party to conversations with Trump about challenging, disrupting, or impeding the congressional proceedings to certify the election results, and that he may have also had prior knowledge regarding the likelihood of violence on January 6th due to his monitoring of social media sites where such violence was discussed and predicted. Specifically through press reporting, we are aware that on January 6th, Mr. Scavino was advising Trump throughout the day, potentially even directing, directly sending messages from the White House and potentially playing a role in the video message Trump released hours after rioters breached the Capitol. It's also been reported that Mr. Scavino was present during a January 5th strategy session with Trump as they schemed on how they could convince congressional Republicans to successfully object to the certification of the election and thus overturn it. This is why Mr. Scavino has an obligation to appear before us. Nevertheless, Mr. Scavino claims to be protected under executive privilege, but that claim isn't grounded in the law or reality. Executive privilege doesn't allow for a person to simply refuse to appear before a congressional committee. It doesn't apply to Scavino's campaign activities on behalf of the former president. It doesn't apply to a potentially unlawful scheme to obstruct Congress, and it doesn't apply to his official duties when, as here, the current president of the United States asserts it is not in the public interest to do so. I have one more thing to add tonight. The Department of Justice has a duty to act on this referral and others we have sent. Without enforcement of congressional subpoenas, there is no oversight. And without oversight, no accountability, not for the former president or any other president, past, present, or future. Without enforcement of its lawful process, Congress ceases to be a co-equal branch of government, and the balance of power would be forever altered to the lasting detriment of the American people. Finally, I want to return to Judge Carter's remarkable opinion, finding that a former president of the United States may have committed a crime and fraud against the United States. 
The judge said that Dr. Eastman and President Trump launched a campaign to overturn a democratic election, an action unprecedented in American history. Their campaign was not confined to the ivory tower, it was a coup in search of a legal theory. The plan spurred violent attacks on the seat of our nation's government, led to the deaths of several law enforcement officers, and deepened public distrust in our political process. And as the vice chair pointed out, he also said, if the country does not commit to investigating and pursuing accountability for those responsible, the court fears January 6th will repeat itself. That responsibility to investigate and pursue accountability extends to those who hold the highest office in the land or those who hold no office at all. If no one is above the law, then no one must be above the law. We are upholding our responsibility. The Department of Justice must do the same. Our committee is dedicated to getting to the truth and to taking any steps necessary to do so. When material witnesses fail to comply with lawful subpoenas, we have no choice but to refer them for contempt of Congress. Peter Navarro's testimony is integral to our investigation, and despite the fact that he's given multiple television interviews regarding our subpoena, he's failed to comply with our investigation in any way. Mr. Navarro has publicly stated that he is protected by executive privilege, but has never sought counsel as others have, has never filed any case seeking relief from his responsibilities to comply with our subpoena. An economist with a PhD from Harvard, Mr. Navarro ran unsuccessfully for office in my home state of California for five, time, five times. He wrote several books on economics and trade, many of which focused on China. He was brought on by the Trump campaign in 2016 to advise the former president on economic and trade issues. He was such an important advisor to the former president that an office in the White House was created just for him to oversee, the White House National Trade Council. He was the architect of the president's trade policies, which, according to a study commissioned by the U.S.-China Business Council, quote, hurt the U.S. economy and failed to achieve major policy goals. Now, Mr. Chairman, I think the American people might be wondering why our committee would need to speak with a trade official about the attempts to under to overturn the 2020 election. As the vice chair noted, that's because Mr. Navarro held that title as a director of White House National Trade Council, but he devoted much of his time to White House political efforts outside the scope of his official duties. In fact, the American people are likely to know Mr. Navarro solely in his political capacity. He was so active in the 2020 reelection campaign that the United States Special Counsel ruled in 2020 that Mr. Navarro repeatedly violated the Hatch Act. That's because the former president trusted Mr. Navarro as a spokesman and confidant. He was so intimately involved with these efforts that Mr. Navarro allegedly led a call on January 2nd with a group of state legislators about the effort to convince Vice President Trump, Vice President Pence, to delay the election certification for 10 days. A text handed over to this committee by Mr. Meadows from a member of the press read, and I quote, Mark, I'm reaching out because I have details on the call that Navarro helped convene yesterday with legislators as part of his effort to get Pence to delay certification of the election for 10 days. 
including that the president participated. Were you on the call when the president spoke? End quote. Among the many questions we have for Mr. Navarro, we need to hear from him about this conversation and about that phone call. And we need to hear from him about his other calls with Steve Bannon, whom the House has already held in contempt, that took place both during and after the attack on the U.S. Capitol. We know that Mr. Navarro believes he and Mr. Bannon came up with the strategy for overturning the election because he details it in his book, which I know my colleague from Florida will discuss in greater detail. This is as clear a case for contempt as we are likely to see, Mr. Chairman. Over a month and a half ago, Mr. Navarro was subpoenaed by this committee. We sought documents and testimony regarding his efforts to discredit the election and to prevent the results from being certified. This information is central to our committee's inquiry. Mr. Navarro refused to comply, making a cursory claim of executive privilege. There are many reasons why this blanket assertion of executive privilege lacks merit as a matter of law and as a matter of common sense. Most fundamentally, neither the incumbent nor the former president has asserted privilege regarding Mr. Navarro's testimony or document production to the committee. And Mr. Navarro has no unilateral authority to assert privilege himself. Beyond that foundational flaw in Mr. Navarro's privilege claim, since the election, he has spoken and written widely about the precise subjects that are the focus of our subpoena. Clearly, Mr. Navarro is eager to tell his story, as he sees it, so long as he can do so on his own terms. For example, in 2020 and in 2021, Mr. Navarro published a three-part report on his website called The Navarro Report. In it, he makes allegations about election fraud that have been debunked. Furthermore, in November 2021, Mr. Navarro published a book called In Trump Time. He describes in detail actions he took to change the outcome of the election. For instance, Mr. Navarro claims credit for working with Steve Bannon to concoct a scheme they called the Green Bay Sweep. The core of this plan was to encourage Vice President Pence to delay certification of the Electoral College votes on January 6, and to send the election back to state legislators. In his book, Mr. Navarro also writes what he called Attorney General William Barr, he, he also writes that he called Attorney General William Barr, asking the Department of Justice to support President Trump's legal efforts to challenge the election results, which Barr declined to do. Notably, Mr. Navarro acknowledges that he kept a journal detailing this episode and other post-election actions he took. And finally, earlier this year, at the same time he was refusing to comply with our subpoena, Mr. Navarro made multiple media appearances during which he discussed his various roles in the events that culminated in the January 6th attack. I'd like to play a video, uh, media clip right now. Can you please cue the clip? What about this interview, which is kind of interesting, is like I have so much knowledge uh, to share with you about what, what I was involved in and what I know. Given that you've told me that you have a plan that you push to delay or deal with the certification, you've told me 100 members back it, and you've said in public Trump was on board. If you say all those things out here, why risk a legal battle or going to jail to refuse to discuss them with the committee under oath? Uh, because uh, I have a loyalty to the Constitution and a loyalty to the president. The president has invoked executive privilege in this matter. It's not um, my authority 
to uh, revoke that privilege. You say it's not your privilege to waive, but let's look the law. No, at how it's, often it's you've law. waived it. Let's look at some of the news you've made on these topics. Take a look. Former Trump advisor Peter Navarro is spilling the beans. We had uh, over 100 congressmen and senators on Capitol Hill ready to implement the sweep. Peter Navarro. Right? The, the boss tells Pence to take my friggin' call. Navarro tells Rolling Stone. It was about sending the votes back. Most or all of those states would decertify the election. How do you expect people to take seriously your claim that this is secret and privileged when you've been out there talking about it? And when you and Bannon said the committee's dog wouldn't bark, they were afraid of you and the report, it seems now, Peter, like the dog has barked. Thank you. He has so much knowledge to share with a journalist, but he refuses to share that knowledge in response to a lawful subpoena. Evidently, Mr. Navarro is only concerned with executive privilege with keeping certain matters confidential when it's convenient for him. Unfortunately for him, and fortunately for the American public, that's not how the law works. No president, incumbent or former, has claimed privilege regarding Mr. Navarro's testimony and documents. And in any event, his claim of executive privilege is severely undermined, if not foreclosed altogether, by his extensive public disclosures on the same issues the committee seeks to question him about under oath. As a result of his actions, Mr. Navarro is clearly in contempt of Congress and should be referred to the Department of Justice for criminal prosecution. Uh, you know, my hero, Tom Paine, said the cause of America is the cause of mankind. And today, democracy is under siege all over the world. And just as we're working to defend and fortify democracy abroad in Ukraine and other places, we're working to defend and fortify democracy here at home. The assault on American democracy that exploded on January the 6th, Mr. Chairman, had two coordinated elements that we've been able to see. One was a violent insurrection from the outside infused by propaganda and disinformation and led by domestic violent extremist groups like the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, the QAnon networks, um, the militia groups. But the other component was a secret campaign on the inside to replace our constitutional process governing presidential elections with a tissue of lies and counterfeit processes that make a mockery of American democracy. This is what the political scientists call a self-coup. It's not a coup against a president, like most coups, but it's a coup organized by the president against the constitutional framework itself. The two contempt citations we vote on tonight will go to persons who have critical information about both components of this assault on America and the coordination between them. Peter Navarro worked to overthrow the election by nullifying 79 electoral college votes cast by tens of millions of Americans who live in Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, New Mexico, and Wisconsin. Uh, had his so-called Green Bay sweep not been blocked by the bravery of our police officers, 150 of whom were injured, wounded, or hospitalized by insurrectionary violence, and by Vice President Pence's refusal to abandon his constitutional duties, 
This attempted coup would have, quote, permanently ended the peaceful transition of power in America, unquote, threatening the survival of democracy and the Constitution, as United States District Judge David Carter put it so powerfully in his remarkable decision today, rejecting the claims of Navarro's comrade in these efforts, John Eastman. We subpoenaed Navarro to produce documents by February the 23rd, 2022, and to appear for deposition on March 2nd. He has produced no documents and failed to appear for his scheduled deposition. Peter Navarro must be held in criminal contempt of Congress and the American people because he is acting with criminal contempt for the Congress and the American people. The American people want to know what sets him above the law. The Supreme Court said in 1950, in US versus Bryan, that a subpoena creates a public duty which every person within the jurisdiction of the government is bound to perform when properly summoned. In 2020, the Supreme Court emphasized that it is the duty of all citizens to cooperate with a subpoena. But Navarro invokes the words executive privilege, rep repeats the phrase over and over again, it is not my privilege to waive. And he thinks he has found a magic wand to nullify the powers of the US Congress, just like he thinks he has found a magic wand to nullify the powers of the states to cast their own electoral college votes. Now, Navarro's statement that the executive privilege is, quote, not his to waive, is in fact accurate. But if the executive privilege is not Navarro's to waive, then neither, for the exact same reason, and by definition, is it his to assert in the first place. The Supreme Court has been clear that the executive privilege belongs to the President of the United States. And on February 28, 2022, the White House counsel notified Mr. Navarro that President Biden determined that assertion of executive privilege is not justified with respect to Navarro's effort to cover up the evidence of his participation in this assault on American constitutional democracy. So Navarro then appears to fall back on the vague assertion that the executive privilege here belongs to former President Trump, which is not only dubious, but entirely irrelevant because our committee has not been given any attempted invocation of executive privilege by Donald Trump, either formally or informally, indirectly by Peter Navarro or directly by Donald Trump. Nothing. There is plainly no assertion of executive privilege here, either by the actual president or by any former president. And even if there were, even if President Biden tried to assert executive privilege for Peter Navarro, it would fail immediately because the privilege does not apply to private political business, much less to criminal activity like conducting coups or insurrections against the government. The privilege applies only to professional speech on government policy by advisors rendering confidential advice on matters within their domain of professional responsibility. Now, Peter Navarro was the White House trade advisor. It was not within his job description to overthrow presidential elections, coerce vice presidents into abandoning their constitutional responsibilities, or 
impose counterfeit regimes in place of the U.S. Constitution. When Navarro was plotting to overthrow the election by canceling out the Electoral College votes of 49 million Americans in six states to seize the presidency for his chosen candidate for four years, he was not rendering advice on trade policy. We are not seeking documents or testimony from Navarro related to his official duties as trade advisor. And indeed, on a press call to announce release of his outlandish and cartoonish three-part report on outright fraud in the 2020 election on his personal website, Navarro acknowledged publicly that he was writing as a private citizen and not as a federal government official. So please spare us the nonsense talk about executive privilege rejected now by every court that has looked at it. This is America, and there's no executive privilege here for presidents, much less trade advisors, to plot coups and organize insurrections against the people's government and the people's constitution, and then to cover up the evidence of their crimes. The courts aren't buying it, and neither are we. Navarro insists only on adding insult to his contempt. More than a year after Biden beat Trump by more than 7 million votes, Navarro continues to spread the big lie that Trump won, and he says, quote, beyond any shadow of a doubt, this election was stolen. He brags about his work with Steve Bannon to apply pressure on Vice President Pence to do the wrong thing. He tells the complete story in his book, in Trump time, and in his three-part report, which was made up of titles like The Immaculate Deception and The Art of the Steel, of how they tried to get Pence to abandon his constitutional duties and force the contest into a contingent presidential election under the 12th Amendment in the House of Representatives. And he goes on Steve Bannon's podcast, and he makes noises about the next insurrection. A year after the election was over, he said, if they want an insurrection, they keep pushing this, they're going to push the American people over the freaking edge. Mr. Chairman, Madam Vice Chair, the American people opposed the January 6th insurrection, and the American people oppose future insurrections and coups against our government. We are fighting to defend the institutions and values of democracy at home against coup plotters and insurrectionists, and we stand strong on the side of democracy, freedom, the Constitution, and the rule of law against people who smashed our police officers in the face with Confederate battle flags and tried to cancel out the results of our presidential election. These two men are in contempt of Congress, and we must cite them both for their brazen disregard for their duties and for our laws and our institutions. I served in the Navy for 20 years, and when you talk to people in the military, that's what they say. They say they serve in the military. They serve the American people. Today, I continue to serve, as we all do on this committee. When Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro entered the administration, they agreed to serve the American people. The president, who serves the American people, has a unique duty under the Constitution to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And those that serve under the president, especially those closest to him in the administration, are integral to performing that duty to take care that the laws are faithfully executed, not to undermine those laws. 
Congress has a constitutional duty to investigate. And we have a duty to the American people to investigate the violent attack on our capital that attempted to prevent the peaceful transition of power. Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro have a duty to respond to the subpoenas of this committee. However, they've decided, apparently, that they're above the law. 50 years ago this year, a small group of people in the Nixon administration also decided they were above the law. They engineered a cover-up to hold on to political power. They were almost successful, but it took Congress, the Senate, to get to the truth, a truth that the American people deserved. This committee has conducted more than 800 voluntary depositions and interviews with more scheduled, including witnesses who worked in the previous administration. The committees received nearly 90,000 documents pertaining to January 6th, and we followed up on more than 435 tips received through the committee's tip line. Hundreds of witnesses have voluntarily come forward and cooperated with our investigation. However, Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro refused to answer this constitutional duty. Why are they special? Why is it when we get closer and closer to the former president, his inner circle, those nearest to the president, why are those the ones who refuse to tell the American people what they know? What is it they're covering up? Now Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro have attempted to obstruct the pursuit of justice and to stonewall this committee's work and conceal the truth despite both publicly acknowledging their roles and promoting election fraud conspiracies and counseling the former president on changing the outcome of elections. What, Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro, are you covering up? Who are you covering for? We've been through this process before. What, Mr. Meadows, are you covering up? And who are you covering for? When given the opportunity to tell the truth about the attack on January 6th, both Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro continue to put loyalty to Donald Trump before the Constitution and the American people. Tonight, I will vote to hold Mr. Scavino and Mr. Navarro accountable for their actions and recommend that the House of Representatives cite both of them for contempt of Congress. And the Department of Justice must act swiftly. I will echo what my colleagues have already said, but more bluntly, Attorney General Garland, do your job so that we can do ours. Mr. Chairman, on this vote, there are nine ayes and zero noes. The motion is agreed to. There being no further business, without objection, the select committee stands adjourned. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare Noble wherever you found us, and you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>